Good morning. This is Donna Tyson with Rivers of Faith here on Zeus Radio Network for Hear Women Talk. Thank you so much for joining us where every Tuesday morning our intent is to bring you a show that will encourage your hearts and challenge you to remember that you're not walking alone no matter what you're facing in life. And so each week we bring on a different guest with an inspiring story. And this week we're going to do something a little different. I've invited Invited a previous guest to come back and do part two of her life, um, Lisa Kratz Thomas. Welcome again. I am so glad to be here, Donna. Thanks. Well, I'm delighted that you are coming back for a second edition of this. Lisa, your story is just amazing. Um, for those of you who might have missed part one of Lisa's story, Lisa shared about her exploration into drinking at 13 that then led to drugs and bad relationships, a suicide attempt, a psychiatric ward, um, living on the streets of D.C., homeless, working as a dancer, as a prostitute, and then prison. And we got all that into an hour, but in the last five minutes, we just kind of said, and then she got out and lived happily ever after. (laughs) Oh, I wish it was that easy. (laughs) Really? Although for the last 19 and a half years, Lisa, you have lived sober and a life that has been blessed. Um, And that's the chapter that we want to talk about now for this show. Is that okay with you? I would love to. That's the good part. All right. Well, just for a moment, I want to take you back to the darkest hour. I want to take you back to the streets of D.C. where you do not have a home, where you're in an abusive relationship, where he is beating you and attempting to set you on fire, where you're working as a prostitute, where there's just a lot of darkness around you. And I just want to ask you for a moment when you're in those depths of the pit what made you keep going you know I I tell you I've thought about that so many times because I was really at a point where I, I started to cry out to God and say look God either take me or change me and I knew somewhere inside there was something that there was some kind of drive, there was something that that would speak to me and say, there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than this. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, like I said when I talked about my suicide attempt, I don't know so much if it had been that I wanted to quit living, but that I wanted the pain to stop and that my options seemed so um, minimal. So, you know, there's always, there if there's a spark of hope, um, in someone, that's the opportunity to really tap into that because that's what ignites into a fire to to want you to keep going. Well, you know, in your book, and Lisa, I want to tell everybody about your book. Lisa has a book out called This Is Your Life, Not a Dress Rehearsal, and it can be found on her website at www.lisakratzthomas.com, and Kratz is spelled K-R-A-T-Z. We would encourage you to get this book. It's just a fascinating read, and the first point that I saw a spark of hope in the book was with the officer in the prison who said to you, Lisa, what are you doing here? 
and you told her your offense, and she stopped you and said, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what are you doing here? You have so much more going for you. And she seemed to be the first person that really saw beyond the surface circumstances of your life and saw your potential. You know, that's also a very um, uh, important point in my story because nobody had ever really, um, you know, talked about the inside. I mean, I had a lot of comments about how, oh, you're so beautiful, you dress so nice, you're this, you're that. Of course, with, you know, the different things that I got into, I was always um, uh, focused on what I looked like on the outside. And, of course, on the inside, I was broken and damaged and um this woman just spoke right to my spirit, and I will never, ever forget that. I mean, I still can go back in my mind and and remember uh, when that happened. In fact, uh, as you read on in my book, and I start to talk about uh, when I had had my last uh, drink and drug, one of the things I remember before I walked into the crack house was I remember that that officer's words. What are you doing here? You don't belong here. And at that point, I had pushed it out of my mind because I was determined to do what I wanted to do. But, you know, you just never know what words you can say to somebody that can literally change their entire life. And that's what that woman did for me. At any point when you were on the street doing the drugs and homeless and and selling your body, did anybody come up to you from a church, from the community, and say something that made you feel that you had a chance of changing your life? Well, you know, when I was on the street, you know, it's it's one of those things that people want to help, but they're afraid. And I certainly understand that because if you haven't walked this type of walk, there's a there's an innate fear that you're uh, you shouldn't be getting involved in things like this. But mm-hmm. you know, I can tell you, Donna, if someone had come up to me from a church, a traditional church, and maybe even in a traditional way, and said, "Hey, we want to help you. We we want to tell you about the Lord." I, I, there's no way I would have ever accepted that. I would have never crossed the threshold of a church. I was brought up in church, and what I had done in my life, honey, God doesn't want me back so you know that wasn't happening for me okay so it really has to be an appointed time in your life when God sends a special person working as his hands and feet to touch your life I think it does and I think it has to be you know we've got to be able to meet the world and meet these situations uh, on their terms and um, we have to remember that um you know, our Lord himself didn't hang out with the people in church. He was in the street with those that were hurting and those that were lost and those people that really needed him. So, yeah, I would say that it's a two-way street. It's got to be the right approach, and uh, the person has to be ready and willing or it's not going to work. Okay. When you were arrested and put in prison, I think it was mandated that you had to go into some type of rehab, wasn't it, at that point? Did you did is that how you got into the twelve step program? Well, no, not exactly. Um, you know how I got into twelve step was I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired. Okay. Um, 
you know, I had by this time when I had been incarcerated, I had already been in the psych ward uh, for my suicide attempt. I had already been in previous rehabs. And at that time, you know, we're talking over 20 years ago, they were 30-day programs, mostly in hospitals, because they didn't know what to do with addicts and alcoholics. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I had done all those things. And here I was, my life still wasn't getting any better. And I just cried out, and I had been introduced to 12-step while I was uh, incarcerated and while I had been in these different rehabs, but never took advantage of it. So um, at this point, I knew that either I had to change or I was going to die. Okay. When you went to 12-step and started actively working the steps, do you think it made a difference in your life? Do you count that as part of the reason that you're here today? Well, I counted as as with that and my relationship with God as the two only reasons. Um, you know, there's one thing that addicts and alcoholics do. We live in the dark. We live in secrets, and we're only as sick as our secrets. And what you do is you go through your life. You keep um, uh, pretending to yourself and creating this situation that nobody knows what's going on and that you're hiding something from somebody. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we all know that when you're out there doing, you know, acting crazy and, and living the way I lived, I wasn't hiding anything from anyone. However, in my spirit, I was hiding things. And until I could really come to grips with the fact that, you know, my life was a mess. It was unmanageable. I could not do anything about it. And I had to find something bigger than me to tap into to help me. Um, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to make any progress. And that's what I found in 12 Step. There's also a program that is in many of the churches today across the country called Celebrate Recovery. Are you familiar with that? I am familiar with that. Um, I think that there's a... I think that there's a, a a variety of things out there that can help someone who is suffering. Uh, I have known people who have had um, who, who have gotten sober and stayed sober through church. It really, really, the point of recovery depends on having a spiritual awakening. You've got to have a spiritual awakening. It's not a spiritual part of a program. It is the entire program. So. Mm-hmm. I believe that there's a lot of really good um, programs out there. It's just tapping into the one that's going to help you that you can become honest with yourself in. And the key is you have to be ready to give up the old life. We call it a white death. You have to be willing to bury the person that was and to begin a new life with a new attitude and a whole new way of living. Um, I think there was a quote in your book that I love that said, nobody can go back and and start a new beginning, but anybody can start today and make a new ending. That's right, and it's just a matter of whether or not you're committed enough to do that Um, because it all comes down to willingness. The key to success and recovery is spiritual awakening and a willingness to uh, let that penetrate into your life and become a new way of living. Well, it's you know, it's easy for us to say, and then she lived happily ever after. But there's been a whole lot of trials in the middle of that. One of the foundation stones of your new beginning was meeting your husband, Tom. And tell me how you met him. 
the love of my life. I met him. I was working uh, as a temporary in a government contractor. Uh, this was after I got off the streets and really trying to get my life together. And um, today I look back and I know it was a, di- a divine appointment. Well, we're going to come back and hear about the love story of Lisa and Tom and how he helped her begin her new chapter of prosperity and and just love in life as soon as this break is over. Thank you all for being here. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is Donna Tyson with Rivers of Faith on Zeus Radio Network for Hear Women Talk. I'm delighted to have as my guest today Lisa Kratz Thomas with part two of her life, the 19 and a half years since she made the decision to step out of a life that was destroying her and to move forward in her life. And Lisa, right before break, we talked about you meeting a man who was different than any other man you had met, and his name was Thomas Thomas. <laughs> That's him. Um, I hope I can get through this without shedding tears because, you know, there's, there's, there's things, there's moments in your life that you experience that literally change your destiny. And meeting my husband um, was one of those times. You know, being a prostitute and um, experiencing the kind of relationships that I had with men, I really had such a bitterness in my heart towards men and I I felt like I was just um, there to be used by men so when I met when I met this guy I was like here we go again just another guy Um, but you know there was things about him that were entirely different Um, I couldn't manipulate him and that was what I had become really good at Uh, I could manipulate anyone at any time to get what I wanted so, um, you know, I just, when we met and we started talking, I, I thought, wow, you know, this guy's kind of different, and I liked it. Okay. Now, did you meet him in a bar? No, and that was the other thing. Okay. <laughs> you know, I had, it was something different. Um, I actually was working at, like I said, I had a temporary job, and um, uh, I was working as an admin in a, in a government contractor, and uh he was uh, an executive there, and you know we would chat a little bit and talk. And um, you know, I tried, I tried desperately to get him to take me out to lunch alone, and he just wouldn't do it. And um, I finally confronted him, and I said, "Look, why can't we go out on a date?" And he said, "You know, Lisa, I really don't make a habit of going out with people that are living with someone else." Now that was a big like shock to me. Like, why not? I mean, I was living with another man at this time, mm-hmm. and I could not understand for the life of me why he would not want to go out with me. Uh, he said, you know, I just don't do that type of thing. So that was one indication. Nobody had ever told me no before, and I wanted to pursue <laughs> this man. I wanted to find out what was going on. And so, you know, he, he said, we can go out on a date after you move out from the situation that you're in. Well, it wasn't long after that that I did that. I got I rented a room with a lady that I was working with, and um, I got a car and kind of started to get back on my feet. And I'm telling you, I didn't have the boxes in that room before I picked up the phone and called Tom and said, Hey, I don't live with that guy anymore. Can we go out? And, and he said, Well, sure. And we went out to dinner and had a great time. And, of course, I expected the evening to end like it always ended um, in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. And... Um, 
that was another thing he told me. He said, you know, Lisa, he said, I, I've been, uh, I'm 40 some years old. I've been divorced for years and I'm really not interested in a one night stand. And of course I was shocked. I thought, well, my first indication is maybe he's gay. I mean, maybe this really, he isn't what he says he is. How could he not want me? <laughs> right. I mean, all this, come on. But you know, this is also a lie that, that, you tell yourself and that addiction tells yourself that you're only worth what you've done, that you'll never change, that you can never be anything more than you are. And I'm here to tell you that that moment, that no in my life was the the, the biggest open door that I had ever received because I started to see myself very slightly in another way because he was he was putting value into my life. He was telling me in so many ways, Lisa, I don't need to use you or abuse you. I want to relate with you, which was a total phenomenon to me. Mm-hmm. And you all started dating. You had a normal relationship, but you reached a point where you almost self-destructed that relationship as well. I did. Um, you know, uh, again, addiction is um, one of those things that is cunning, baffling, and powerful. And, uh, you know, I, although I was not using drugs, I would have an occasional drink. And, you know... Um, it, it was one of the things that, I, that, that we've talked about before is being cross-addicted. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what a lot of people that are, are substance abusers do is they, when they can't or when they've kind of uh, called off the subject or gotten off the, the, the drug that they're addicted to, for me it was crack cocaine, um, then I would switch to alcohol. And I thought I could control my alcohol. But you see, what happens is it sets off a vicious cycle in us. And anything that can ignite that cycle in you, you cannot put into your body. Anything that's mind or mood altering. So, you know, that's So you I'm don't buy to. into the theory that if you've ever been an addict in any form before, that you can just have one drink or one puff of pot and you're going to be okay. Well, no, I don't buy into it, and um, I can tell you from my own personal experience, the experience of thousands of others, if you even look at your genetic makeup, I mean, you it is impossible. Listen, if you're allergic to strawberries or peanuts, just because you haven't eaten them in five years doesn't mean you're not going to break out and have to end up in the hospital. My, my point to this would be if you've got, if you have quit drinking and then you feel you can go back and have one drink and that works for you, then I would wonder whether you were an addict to begin with. Okay. Okay, so tell us about how you almost self-destructed in this relationship. You went back to drinking, and you had one night where it just seemed like life was too good, and you were going to have to be accountable. Yeah, you know, I left that morning, and I said, hey, you know, uh, I'll see you this evening. I'll I'll, uh, cash my check on the way home, and uh, Tom and I and his children were going to go away for the weekend, and... um, you know, something in me, I just went to the bar and I started drinking. And before you knew it, it set off that reaction in me and I was back at the crack house. That was Friday. I saw Tom Friday morning. He didn't hear from me again until Sunday morning. In that short period of time, I had emptied my bank account, sold my jewelry, and almost given my car away 
to stay high for that weekend. And Lisa, let's talk about that for a moment because in the previous show, you told me how much at your highest point of use of crack, you were spending a day on drugs. Tell us that amount again. It was about $1,500 a day, um, which people can't, you know, comprehend. But to stay high, that's that's about how much it was. And so, you know, when you (laughs) – and and crack's the kind of thing, it doesn't last long. I mean, 10 minutes, you've got to reinvest. And so um, it was was one of those things, again, I was left – just in the matter of a weekend, everything I had built in nine months had gone down the toilet. And I was hopeless, and I was feeling terrible about myself, and I knew the dreaded call was about to come, which was to call him and to tell him, I need help, and I need you to come and get me. And what did he say? He said, I will be right there. And then I, I thought, okay, well, you know, he wants to get here quick so he can just, you know, read me the riot act. And um, I remember I was standing out front. I was in the same dress that I had left in Friday morning. I hadn't taken a shower. Um, and he pulled up, and I started walking towards the car, and I said, well, this is it. I might as well just crap, pack all my stuff and just, you know, get out of his house. And I got in, and um, he looked at me, and he, he put his hand on my knee, and he said, Lisa, he said, what can I do to help you? Why do you keep doing this to yourself? And I said, no you know, judgment. I, no judgment. I said, I don't know. I don't know, but I can't drink. I can't drug, and I've got to change my life. And he said, I love you, and I want to help you. And I can tell you, Donna, it's the first time in my entire life that I truly felt that that's all that he wanted to do. With no strings attached, he wanted to help me become the woman that God had created me to be. Wow. The power of love truly is amazing. It really is. And, you know, Lisa, as we listen to your story here, you've been sober now for 19 and a half years. Um, you just blew your life away you say you snorted it up your nose until you were Mm -hmm. 30 years old at 30 you got sober at 31 you married tom and became miss lisa kravitz thomas and then you began a life uh together in that started rebuilding and became a mom at 35 i want to hear that part of the story i want to hear how you transition into a normal you know, life after living in the on the streets and with the day-to-day high of the drugs there. So we're going to take a short break so we don't have to interrupt it. We'll be right back. Thank you all for staying tuned. Please don't go anywhere. We're going to be back and hear about the next 19 and a half years with Lisa Kratz Thomas. Hello, everyone. This is Donna Tyson with Rivers of Faith on Zeus Radio Network for Hear Women Talk. Today, we're talking with Lisa Kratz Thomas about her amazing story of recovery and of faith. And Lisa, I'm just loving this part of your story. You've met a man who believes in you now. Um, you're starting to realize that you can have value outside of the physical appearance, outside of the material possessions. And so you marry a man and take on two stepchildren. I want to talk to you for a moment, first off, about trust. 
because you openly talk about how you were able to manipulate anybody, anywhere, anytime to get what you wanted. How did you and Tom build a relationship of trust? Well, you know, I think that goes back to 12-step because one of the things in in 12-step is uh, you've got to learn to be honest with yourself. And, you know, trust is tied into us. We think it's everybody else out there. But if we don't know ourselves, if we're not a person of integrity, if we're not an honest person, if we build our life on lies and deceit and deception, then we perceive that everyone else is doing that. And, of course, you know, like I said, I was a junk magnet. You know, I only attracted those kind of people that were just like me. So when I started to, you know, the combination of having a man like Tom in my life who was honest, who ha- who was a man of integrity, who was showing me every day I'm here for the long haul, and then working the steps of this 12-step, I started to understand that the only way that I was ever going to have any peace in my life, I was ever going to have any healthy relationships in my life, was to be totally honest with myself and with another human being. And so this really started to build an understanding between Tom and I. And I would, you know, um, addiction's a family disease. Everybody thinks it's if the person would just quit doing this and everybody else would be healthy. But that is so untrue because what we all do is we learn how to function with the person who's the addict or the substance abuser. And, and there's a lot of different things that are stirred up and created from that. So I brought this, this newfound freedom home and I would share with Tom my revelations. I would share with him what I was hearing in these meetings. Because listen, Donna, I was at the point, like I said, I was either going to do this or I was going to die. So this really started to build an understanding between us. We talked about faith. We talked about God. We talked about the things that were really important to us, not material things, not things that we wanted to gain on the outside, but what kind of a relationship did we want to have with each other that could be lasting and meaningful? Well, I want to remind everyone that if you have questions, you can go to the live chat on the computer at www.hearwomentalk.com. Go to the live chat. Lisa, is. we have this chat line up, and she will be happy to answer your questions. Hopefully, um, you all will join us, and we'll get to all your answers along the way. I, w- I want to go further on this trust issue. Did did Tom go to the twelve step meetings with you? He he did. He went to twelve um, step meetings that were specifically for addicts and alcoholics, and he also okay. attended many twelve step meetings that were for the loved ones uh, of okay. of those people. So that really helped him understand me and and what I was going through and what he had gotten into. <laughs> Now, what about the church? Obviously, you have gotten involved in the church and and in a very personal faith um, and relationship with God. Tell me how you found the church. Well, again, that was, um, uh, you know, I'd like to back up a little bit if I could, Donna, and just kind of talk a little bit about my family because I think that, um, uh, you know, Our desire when we got married and started to do this was to start to focus on really wanting to have a family. And we both wanted for me to stay at home to raise our children. That was a decision that we made. So 
As I was going to 12-step, I started to realize, and so did he, that we we might need a little bit more spirituality, something that could we could really plant our roots in. And so we started attending a, a, a church, and we started to get plugged in. And um, I really started to hook in with people in this 12-step that were Christians and that had a real deep faith in Jesus. And... Um, I started to uh, read scripture and I started to study and I started to realize that I really loved this and it was changing my life right before my eyes. And, um, you know, this is at a point where I started to to sponsor people in the 12 step and I decided, hey, I think I think I'd like to go to Bible college. Now, mm-hmm. you got to understand, here I am a couple years sober, here coming from walking on the streets, a prostitute selling my body, smoking crack, smoking dope to just in a few short years the transformation that was happening in me. I was on fire. And I can tell you it was nothing but the Spirit of God that changed me. Because you can you can have all the want to, but if you don't have that deep connection with your higher power, you really don't have the confidence or the desire to move forward. And you and I have talked about this on a personal level, Lisa, about the importance of how you start every single day <laughs> with morning devotions and refilling your heart and soul with that scripture to give you the strength to get through whatever the day brings. Well, you know, it's like anything else. How did I get to know my husband? How did he get to know me? We started to spend time together. How did I get to know friends? It was little by little by little. I cannot know. You know, when I first met Tom, I wanted to know everything about him. What was his favorite color? What did he like to eat? Well, you know, the Lord's no different. You can't expect to wake up one morning and call on God and have him be there when you've ignored him for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And he's calling you and he's He's wanting you to know him. And, and, and there's something that happens in us when we connect in that way that can wash out 20 years of literal hell and wake you up every morning and see a new hope, a new freedom, a new way to walk in your life. And that's what started to happen with me. I love it. So did you go to Bible college? I did. I did an at-home study. I did not graduate, but I spent a lot of time focused. Uh, I think God had another plan for me. I started to teach a Bible study at a church, and um, we started out with six women, and in less than six months, on a Tuesday morning, we had 75 women attending, and we had child care, and and, um, I was preaching every Tuesday morning, (laughs) and... You know, it's just, it's a total love story. It's a love story of our Lord, and it's a love story of of people that he put in my life that transformed me, that showed me that, you know, my yesterday is history, that today's reality, but baby, tomorrow is my destiny. And there's so much out there for us, waiting for us, if we can just understand that we don't have to be what we were. We can take that and use that to help others. And I'll tell you, you know, for any addict, they're in anything that will get you higher than helping somebody else. Well, I think that's true for all of us. You know, we get so caught up in looking at our own lives and the woe is me of what's going on in my life. And if you will use that same amount of energy to make a difference in someone else's life, all of a sudden your issues don't seem so big. 
Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you can start to realize that, I mean, I've worked with women through the years that my life was a walk through the daisies compared to what they had to endure. And it made me grateful. And, and that's the other thing the 12 step does. It's, it's based on an attitude of gratitude. And when you have a grateful heart, it's hard to be discouraged or hopeless about the rest of your life. Well, as part of that volunteering and making a difference in other people's lives, you got involved with a jail ministry. Tell me about that. Well, I did. Um, I I took uh, 12-step into our local jail for quite a few years, and then I started teaching a Bible study there. And, you know, I'd go in, and these women were just, they're just like me. And, of course, I related to them so easily. But I started to get calls from social workers and, and probation officers uh, asking me, hey, do you, do you know of anywhere these women can go when they are released? Do you have any, any programs that you work with that could help these, these ex-offenders? And, you know, I stepped back and thought, wait a minute, I'm just a stay-at-home mom teaching a Monday morning Bible study. You know, I, I don't know how to do this. And, and uh, I said, no, I really don't. And I said, but somebody needs to do something about that. And I'll tell you, Donna, it was like an audible voice from from God that said, yeah, that somebody is you, Lisa. Who better? I love that. (laughs) One of my favorite stories is the man that sat down on a park bench and he looked all around him and became totally disillusioned with his community. And just he looked at the drug dealers and the prostitutes and the homeless and, and the people who were sick and and living, you know, just in total poverty around him and he just became really angry at God and said God you're supposed to be this loving kind caring father and if that is true how can you let this happen why don't you do something and this small voice answered I did I made you get to work amen that's exactly right because again Look at my life. Look how strategically people were placed in my life, the good and the bad. And that love, love is the equalizer. Love can tear down walls. It can, it can, it can catapult you into a dimension of living that nothing else can. So I started to see these women, all they wanted was to be loved. And, you know, I would go in and I'd think, gosh, if I could just take them all home and have a pajama party and paint their fingernails and tell them how much God loved them and <laughs> tell them how much I love them, you know, we they, they would start to be on the road to recovery. So, Lisa, you're seeing these women who are in much the same position you had been in your life who need a ray of hope. And you decide somebody needs to make a difference. And God says, Lisa, it's you. You're a stay-at-home mom. You don't have lots of money. You don't have the background to begin a program. But God sent special people into your life to be able to create a program far beyond what you could have dreamed of. We're going to come back and talk about that program right after break. You all stay tuned. We're going to hear more of Lisa Kratz-Thomas and her beautiful story of faith. We'll be right back. I'm Donna Tyson, welcoming you back to Rivers of Faith here on Zeus Radio Network for Hear Women Talk. 
I'm talking with Lisa Kratz Thomas about her beautiful story of restoration. Lisa, we're right before break. We were talking about the fact that you were doing a prison ministry, going in and preaching there in the prison and sharing love and hope with the women. And you started to get phone calls saying, we need some help when these ladies come out. Um, there's just nothing available for them. I think that you said that there was no place in the state of Virginia where you were living that was dedicated to the transition of um, prisoners at that time. Well, that's true, and it's um, still pretty true today. There there may be one or two in in the state (laughs) that works with women that are coming from incarceration. I know that's hard for people to believe, but it's true. But, you know, I started a, a fire was planted in me, and, you know, I didn't know how to do this, but I just knew that I was going to do it. And, um, you know, I started with a group of people that had like minds, again, you know, like minds attract. Worked sure. with some people that were volunteers at the jail, and I said, hey, we need to do this thing. The pastor of my church at the time uh, said, we'll stand by you. You can work uh, as a separate entity off of our 501 until you can get your own. So um, I remember the first meeting we had, I I called uh, just a general call, and about 25 people showed up. And I said, okay, uh, when we leave this meeting, we need to have a board of directors. And they said, well, we need to think about this. And I said, no, 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 we can't think about this. The thinking's been done. We've got to leave this meeting with a board of directors. And don't you know, five faithful people stepped up to the board, and we started an organization entitled New Vision. We were uh, – and and it was and it was awesome it was just awesome but we started working with um resource programs we provided things like a clothing closet and a pen pal program uh and then we ended up moving into a building that the silver company donated to us donated to us um in fredericksburg and we ran programs out of that for many years um and then we had resource programs where we helped uh, the women and their children and um, started to make a great connection with the jail, with the community, with probation and parole, with the churches in the area. Um, incarceration is just such a huge problem, and it touches so many people's lives that we had a, a real rallying point for the community when New Vision began and started to move forward. Now, in 2007, you went beyond just the everyday programs and tried something totally new. You opened up a residential home for women in transition, and I think you kept that program open for two years and served 12 women during those two years, helping them just you know, acclimate to the world outside of prison. And that, again, was an angel unaware that enabled you to start that residential home. Tell me about meeting Miss Doris Buffett. Well, when you meet Doris Buffett, your life will never be the same because she is awesome. Um, she had uh, invested in New Vision a few years earlier uh, with some some funding for programs, and um, she had always had a heart to want to open up a residential home. So together with my board and with her unbelievable generosity, um, <clears throat> she uh, provided a grant for us to buy a home and in the in a large amount a beautiful home in Fredericksburg and um we we together um 
just built this program that we continue to offer inmate services and resource services and then provided a home for women who were coming out of prison. And it was it was a fine oiled machine when we had to close down due to uh, financial restraints. But, you know, we provided um, a holistic approach to uh, reentry. And to this date, um, not one of the women has recidivated back into incarceration that went through our programs. Now that's and, amazing. That oh, it's is totally. absolutely amazing. Because uh, um, what are the statistics of how many people, once they've served time, return to the prison system? Well, in the state of Virginia, which I'm the most familiar with, uh, the recidivism rate is around 42%. In our regional jail, now hold on to your, to your horses for this because you won't believe this. In our regional jail, the recidivism rate for women is an outstanding 83%. That 83% of the women that are incarcerated now have been incarcerated before. So you can see that New Vision saved lives, saved money, and really provided a new way of life for those 12 women. And I am so absolutely honored to have been able to play a part in the success of the future of these women. I can't tell you, Donna. It's just a blessing. I love it. And Lisa, to know that there are 12 women there who you are their angel. You are that person who spoke hope into their lives and believed in them and that has helped them change their life. Uh, that is that is just such a gift to be able to know that, that that is part of the legacy that you've left behind. I want to talk for a moment about community support because we're all sitting here going, oh, how good. That's wonderful. Yes, they need a place. But, you know, when that house is uh, uh, is going to be built in your community <laughs> mm-hmm. and you're going to have the prisoners there in your community that have been former prostitutes and drug dealers and, and affiliated with a life that many of us want to look at from a distance Talk to me about the community support and how did you handle that? Were you accept it? Were you reject it? Well, I think initially um, I was an oddity, uh, but I was absolutely totally transparent. And uh, I said if it hadn't been for someone who, lo- who walked alongside with me, I would never be in the position that I had been in to help those women. And you know, Donnie, you got to give it away to keep it. So it, it, it's there's a selfishness in this too, because I know if I don't continue to do this, I don't know where I will be. But mm-hmm. I would say, you know, if you read in Scripture, you know, in Matthew, it clearly states that God wants us to catch some of every kind. He told the, He told His apostles, "Move your net from one side and throw them out the other side of the boat." And I, and He caught they caught more fish than they could keep and Mm -hmm. and the thing was he said we want one of every kind so if you truly want to help those people that are lost and hurting you've got to let down your barriers you've got to go out and know there's somebody just like you just like your daughter just like your son they need your love Exactly. And you take your testimony, the thing that you've been through, the test that you've been given, and that is your strength because you have walked that walk with them and you are able to lay down a stepping stone for those people to be able to move forward because you've been there sharing your lessons. Yes, very much so. And I uh, want to 
go to one other thing in your book. We're, we're, I want to make sure I get these stories in because I don't think we can do a part three in the next okay. month, maybe <laughs> next year when you write the next book. But one of the things that I loved in your book is you talking about um, being invited to the Speaker of the House uh, and to the Joint Senate Subcommittee study. Tell me about that moment in time where you realized that you really had changed your life. Well, uh, the Speaker of the House, Bill Howe, who's an awesome man of God and just an awesome person, had called and asked if I would be willing to be on this um, Senate subcommittee that studied reentry. And I said, well, sure, what do I do? And he said, oh, Lisa, just go down there and show up. They'll tell you what to do. So I said, okay. So I went down and I walked into the the uh, General Assembly room and, and I went up to the legislative assistant and I said, hi, I'm Lisa Thomas. I'm here with New Vision and I'm serving on the subcommittee. I said, well, where would you like me to sit? And uh, I thought we'd be sitting around a conference table. He said, well, I'd like for you to sit up there. I said, up there where the microphones are? <laughs> and he said, uh, you are on the subcommittee, aren't you? And I said, well, uh, yeah, but you want me to sit up there? And so I went up and I took my seat and I was sitting next to Mark Early, the head of prison fellowship, uh, next to uh, Dottie uh, uh Fuller, who's a, a congresswoman or a senator, and I, 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 the head of Department of Corrections, and you know the 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 Senate the committee started and I started to realize I started to play a video about inmates and I was glad the lights were down because I got so full of tears and I realized I should be on the video not on the subcommittee and again I really heard that small quiet voice say no you're placed here because you've already been through that it's your time to make a difference and I realized I could make a difference, maybe in a small way in the lives of those that were coming out. And it's just so beautiful watching your spirit today. You are still a very, very bold woman (laughs) and very strong and very beautiful and still have all the same characteristics that you had before. But you have this wonderful, pure faith that just glows from you, Lisa. And I know God's got amazing things ahead of you. I want to talk for a moment about where you are in your life this moment. I know that you just released your new book this year called This Is Your Life, Not a Dress Rehearsal. And tell me about the book and where people can um, purchase the book and what you're hoping to do with the message of the book. Well, they can purchase it on my website, www.lisakratzthomas.com, and uh, they can go to Amazon and put Lisa Thomas, Lisa Kratz Thomas in. They can go to jo- Joseph Beth Bookstores and purchase it. But I want to encourage anyone who's struggling with addiction, who has a loved one that's struggling with addiction, to get this book. I get call after call after call for help, and I'm telling you, my life my recovery, my success is in the pages of this book. I mean, invest in yourself. It's worth it. You're worth it. Your loved ones are worth it. Because I didn't walk this this walk to just end up with nothing. So I hope that this book can help anybody who's suffering or hurting. I do professional speaking, and uh, and I go out and I help corporations deal with drug use in the, in the workplace. Okay, and now you have an exciting path that you're trying to open up in the colleges. Tell us about your uh, title as a addiction ally. 
I am your addiction prevention ally. Um, <laughs> college, hey, I had to, I had to come up with something, and I figured I, you know, I am an ally, and I want to be an ally. And college drinking is out of control, and. If anyone's listening, it's not a phase, you guys. It's not a phase. It is killing those kids. And they need real life, real life experience on what it's going to do and how to come out from that. So that's my hope in that is to be able to speak on campuses and to really, you know, relate with the students and let them know that there is life after drinking. I love it. And we're trying to use all avenues to get your message out that people that are hurting can hear your voice, hear the promise of the future in it. And so we have some exciting news for you listeners on Hear Women Talk. Lisa, you want to share your news? Oh, I would love to. I am so excited. Uh, the Hear Women Talk Network is going to um, allow me to bring my radio show, Addiction, uh, it's the courage to change, and we're going to be on every Monday from one to two, and every week we're going to have guests that are um, that are stimulating that that are going to provide their experience, strength, and hope to increase awareness and to promote practical aspects of substance abuse recovery and codependency. We're going to have call in blog in so that people who have questions about this can call and get real help. And I am just so excited for this show to air. Oh, I am so excited too. I just love it. And Lisa, I just thank you so much for just your sincerity as you share your story. I'm so excited about the future and God using you to make a difference in people's lives. Before we close, I just want to ask you one thing. What's on your bucket list now? When you look back at your life and you look at the future, what do you what are three things that you really want to do in your life? Wow, what I really want to do. Um, one is to continue doing what I'm doing, to speak on a regular basis to help people. One is to continue to work with ex-offenders and somehow create a program for them that is lasting. And the other is to just enjoy my children and my family and to be a good wife and an awesome mom. Oh, I love it. Well, I think you are well on your way. I am honored to have had you on the show, both of these programs. I wish you Godspeed, Lisa. Thank you all for listening. I hope that your life has been touched as you as you have listened to Lisa share her story. Be sure and tune in to her show when it starts next month on Mondays. Tune in with us again next Tuesday for Rivers of Faith here on Zeus Radio Network for Hear Women Talk. This is Donna Tyson wishing that the Rivers of Faith will carry you gently through life today. God bless.